You know, Martha. Yes. You and I have officially reached a new plane with today's episode. I really feel as I felt as I was reading the book that we will be discussing today, that you and I have, we can no longer see the shore. We have read so many pages. <laughs> I'm serious. I Only, know. I know. I, I sent a message to you where, and I said, you and I have created a whole new language in terms of the reference points to all the things that we've been reading. And it's true. When I, I, I actually hear music differently now, <laughs> I, when I hear people on the radio, I, I think of all the anecdotes I know about them. Right. And it's all different for me now. And you and I are so high up on the mountain. We're just in it. It's just you and me <laughs> sharing these like nutrition bars on the side of this hill. I will, nev- I will never climb. listen to New Order the same way again. I can tell you that right, right. now. Never. <sighs> Everybody, it's another day. Listeners and readers. I prefer to think of you as readers, even though we're doing the reading for you clearly. <laughs> Martha is back. I think she's back. I don't know. Um, I'm back. We're here for another spectacular episode of the Rock Star Biography Podcast, where we leave no rock memoir unturned. We don't. We just, if no. it exists, we'll find it. We'll turn it over. We don't care how big the rock is. We will lift it with both hands and we'll see what's underneath and we'll describe it. Clearly, especially after today's book. <laughs> That's right. Today, it required both of my hands and Martha's to lift up the 700-page stone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was the book called, I don't know if actually, okay, it was called Substance. And whether or not the book had any was something we'll be diving into right now. It was written by Mr. Peter Hook. Although Hooky. I will, Hooky, I'll never, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, it's inappropriate to call him anything but Hooky. Martha and I have, in fact, decided it's inappropriate to refer to one another as anything else, but... <laughs> Marty and Chrissy moving forward. <laughs> oh my We've, goodness. For better or worse, this this experience with New Order and Peter Hook's book today has changed us. It just has. It absolutely has. <laughs> I'm a different person than I was a week or two ago when I received this enormous tome. And I suggest you go to our website where you see the size of this book is oh, just casually double the size of a book called The Bible. Okay, that's how enormous this book is by Peter Hook, who is the bass player of New Order. And that's the book we're going to be discussing today as we continue our epic journey through the annals of music memoirs. My name is Christian Overfield. And again, I'm back. I did my part. I casually read 700 pages, which is more than all of, I think, most states of America will ever read in a year. But I did it like it was nothing. And I know my co-host did, too. And her name is Martha Guzman. And I did. And I did. She did. We both did. Oh, we we read this? And like nothing. Like nothing. Like nothing. That's what precocious, gifted students do. Oh, my goodness. If any parent is listening and if your child has ever been accepted into a gifted program, this is how he or she will turn out. This is what they'll be doing with their (laughs) life. They'll casually be absorbing 700 page of memoirs <laughs> while oh, everybody else is working on 401k plans. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. This is well, what a gifted, a gifted uh, <laughs> child will grow up to do. There yep. you have it. <laughs> That's right. You're listening to the outcome of that. <laughs> of mildly above average IQs, not high enough to create like iPhones or anything. Just like bright enough to be snobs and to like have smart thoughts about Breaking Bad. 
<laughs> this case, Peter Hook. <laughs> oh my gosh. As you can tell, everyone, this book really did us in. <laughs> Woo! I tell you what. You know, I, I'm serious. This was, I felt like, I really felt, Martha, like this was a turning point. I'm serious. And I really felt that with Peter Hook's book, Substance, by the way, written by a bass player, everybody, <laughs> you and I were really, really going to new depths. You know, I mean, we started, it was fun and games, but it's not fun and games anymore. <laughs> This book was truly in a category all on its own, of its own. I mean, I know we have said that about some other books, but I really felt that this one was just I don't know. It was, it was a it was companion like, I'm going to say like carefully to Boy George's. Um but um before we get that far, you know, we I'm just going to hand it back to you and say, I know we've talked last time about New Order yes. and our experiences with New Order. I quickly want to throw in that my New Order experience, very, by the way, is um, I left this out. And it's important to me, Martha. It's our show, so I'm going to throw it in. Yes. My favorite guitarist of all time, uh, guitar player, is Dean Wareham. Okay. He was in a band called Galaxy 500. And they were huge New Order fans. A lot of people are, Martha. A lot of musicians are, which is yes. interesting to me. If you go on YouTube, you can find Radiohead playing a cover of New Order song, and they're playing it. They play it with such passion and abandon that you can tell that they're reverting to teenage fans as they play it. I mean, New, you, Radiohead has, has become like the most like esoteric avant-garde band ever. They seem to fight every notion of, of you know, just old school, basic melodic structure. But when you see them play this, you know, New Order song, which is all of two chords, you know. <laughs> You can see they're passionate about it, and it's like, it, it invigorates them. And my favorite guitarist, Dean Wareham, was in a band called Galaxy 500. And on the B-sides of one of their singles to their classic album, On Fire, they cover Ceremony. And in oh. fact, every single time I've seen this man play live, he always, always plays Ceremony. It's like become almost more his song than theirs at this point. So I wanted to include that because I'm Interesting. selfish. Interesting. I like that. Anyway, I wanted to throw that in there before I ask Marta. We uh, we covered. There wasn't much to cover. There was a lot of frosting last week. Yes. Uh, and here we are with Peter Hook. I'm going to ask you, Martha. Seven hundred pages later. Yes. Who are you? Who are you now? <laughs> I am a different woman. <laughs> which let which, me wait, wait, tell you. Which uh, Martha did did Nick wake up to? <laughs> <laughs> a very confused one. I I don't know. Um, well, I I let me start by saying this. Compared to Bernard Sumner's book, I did enjoy Peter Hook's book more. Um, I. I did enjoy this book up to a certain point. And I think what I liked about it, and I couldn't help but read this book in comparison to Bernard Sumner's, obviously. Uh, what I liked about Peter Hook's book was that it actually lit you in on a lot of things that Bernard's book didn't. Um, 
when Bernard said that he was so wild and crazy and that they did, that they did so many wild and crazy things, it was hard for me to believe that because you never really got to know what any of those crazy and wild things were, except for just a handful of things that didn't necessarily come across at all that as all that crazy and wild. But then you read Peter Hook's book and, oh my gosh, I mean, they were absolutely crazy and wild, all of them, if what he says is in fact all true, uh, which I, I, I believed him. I believed everything he said. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of it was embellished. Maybe some of it, I don't know, but I believed it. And so I did enjoy learning more about everything that I felt Bernard had left out. And this wasn't a traditional book like all the ones we've read before. And obviously that's because he has two other books where I'm sure he touched upon sort of his early, you know, the early part of his life and all of that. So it didn't necessarily go in chronological order as most of these memoirs and autobiographies have. And so that was a little different because you get to the part where it's, they're already a new order and, and it's new order and they're working on the music and, and all of that. So you don't get sort of a background on, on his story necessarily. Um, it was also different in just the layout of it, you know, where he includes so many timelines, which I have to say, I enjoyed reading those because there were some really fun anecdotes in some of those timelines and some of the notes that he included. Uh, I also really liked reading about the songs in the albums and sort of getting a little bit of backstory on, on each of those. So there were elements of it that I really enjoyed. Uh, I I felt as though I was sitting with someone who was telling me their story. And I felt that in that sense, he really was a good storyteller because I have to admit, I was, I was sort of uh, captivated by it because I felt like it was written as the way he probably speaks in real life. And it wasn't, um, written in a way where he was trying to come across someone else, but he was just true to himself. So I appreciated the tone of it. Um, but I have to admit that I felt that this book could have been half the size. I thought that at some points it just became so repetitive with the drug use and the sex and the drug use and the sex. And it was just sort of changing names of people he'd had sex with and changing the places he was doing the drugs and so it kind of became repetitive for me. And at that point, I was starting to get bored with it uh, because of the, I felt the stories were just the same over and over and over again. Sometimes I felt that he would just throw in another story, especially when it came to women, just sort of to present himself as a total cat and, oh, see all the women I was able to get. And I was able to get more women than Bernard Sumner. And the thing that really stood out to me, though, was just the double life that they were all leading. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just out of control for me. I thought, oh my gosh, these men were married. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and if you read if you read this, you're I mean, the way that it's written, it it never it never even comes across as though they were married because they were leading such double lives to the extent where whenever he would mention his wife, it was like, Oh, that's right, he was married. I I forgot about that because there were so many women. Uh, and, you know, he 
refers to someone as, oh yeah, my one girlfriend. I'm thinking, honey, you were married. What are you talking about your girlfriend? Like, I mean, it was just out of control. So I felt that, so that really stood out to me how, and the amount of drugs that they were doing, my God, I don't even know how any of these guys are still alive. And it's interesting because I never really had that impression about New Order. You know, it just, I don't know. It just, I honestly, I would have never have guessed that things were as wild and crazy as they were had I not read this book. Uh, but overall, I, I, I did like it. I mean, like I said, in comparison to Bernard's book, I definitely enjoyed it more. And I laughed out loud a couple of times because just the way of the way he recounts stories, I, I found uh, to be humorous. And again, I, I feel like it was really him in this book. I, I never got an, a feeling as though he was pretending to be someone else or uh, trying to show us a sanitized version of how things happened, which I appreciate. I appreciated the raw honesty of it. But again, I, I really do feel that so many of the stories could have been left out because you got so much that you didn't need that point, those points further illustrated. It was enough with what he'd given us at the beginning. So about halfway through it, I have to admit that I was kind of done um, with it. But there were a lot of really interesting anecdotes, which I enjoyed reading about, about a lot of other bands and about a lot, a lot of other people, some of whom we've read about uh, already in other books. But it it was, I mean, it was, it was interesting and I didn't totally hate it. Uh, but again, I think maybe less pages would have been better. Martha. Yes. We, we got to take the kick gloves off. You can't, we, we have to, when talking about this guy's book, this was the raunchiest book we've, we, we've, I mean, Chrissy Hines was, uh, she didn't seem to be having fun a lot of the time she was doing his quote unquote raunchy things. Right. This was just a guy being raunchy. I'm, I'm a, I'm a mate. And by the way, before we even get into it, I've noticed there's a certain bizarre kind of tribalism about this whole Manchester crew, this scene, and I'm going to throw Oasis into it. And even before I read Peter Hook's book, whenever I've listened to, to like Noel Gallagher talk, I'm, I'm re every cell of my body is repelled by the man. They seem to be so proud of how crass and crude yes. and uneducated they are. Instead of using the word um or I don't know or a pause, they use the word fuck, fuck, fucking, fucking, fuck, 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 fucking. And <laughs> they seem to take pride in how crass they are. I it's just like their sort of their existence is an ongoing belch. I'm serious. And I really got that impression reading this this guy's book. He'd say, you know, when anybody threatened him in Peter Hook throughout the book, he'd say, oh, I'm from Salford. You don't know how tough we are. Yes. And it's their idea of toughness just seemed to be a disgusting kind of alcoholism, yes. a disgusting kind of uh, lifestyle and debauchery. Yes. I've never read. This was the first time I've ever. And I. You know, I, I appreciate, I don't even know if that's the right word. You know, I certainly do see without question, this book is an exhaustive warts all, completely honest, searingly honest expose about a day-to-day -day life in this band. Yes. And I completely agree with you. I never would have imagined that a, a guy who looks like he should be handing you change at Wells Fargo, like Bernard Sumner, right? Yes. Would be the, would be a, uh, the, the the gatekeeper of 
of so much debauchery, so much hedonism, so much awfulness. And I got to say, at this point in all of our reading, and Bernard Sumner, without question, seems to be the biggest a-hole, the most reprehensible person you and I have come across so far. And I can say that confidently because he had an opportunity to state a different position or to present himself differently in his, in his book, and he didn't do it. He just decided to sanitize his life. Oh, I don't yes. know. I was part of the Hacienda and oh my God, one day somebody tried to run over my wife and I got really upset. You know how it would be. I don't know why Peter Hook's so mad. So somebody who just refuses to admit to any faults whatsoever, leaves himself wide open to my belief in every single word that Peter Hook has to say about the guy. And even if I diminish it by 20%, I would still have to say that Bernard Sumner seems like the biggest a-hole I've ever read about. But going back to this Manchester bizarro I don't get it. It seems off-putting. And I was talking to a friend of mine as I was reading this book about the quantity of hangovers these people experience. Oh my gosh, yes. I would actually say, if I were some bizarre, you know, you and I would be, I swear, one day, Martha, FBI profiler is going to come to us and they're (laughs) going to say, this person thinks he or she has the making of being a rock star. Here's a dossier of their psychological profile. Do they? And you and I at that point, having read 3,000 memoirs or books of, you know, we'll be able to read it and say yes or no. This person seems crazy. Yes, they'll be a rock star. <laughs> or no, this person pays their taxes. It's not going to happen for them. They're a little too normal, right? Right. And so I'm reading about all the... I can't, I can't comprehend how Peter Hook's even alive anymore. Oh, that's, when, when that's he, exactly about any of the members of this band are alive anymore. The consumption of alcohol and drugs, these people imbibe into their body. And I would say that if, if there were some school or some place called, are you seriously considering being a rock star? This would be the book you give them because it should scare you away. Although I probably wouldn't do that. Unfortunately, it should scare you away because Martha, I've only had two hangovers in my entire life that come remotely close to the morning after experiences that New Order seem to incorporate into their daily living on a daily basis. It's like they walk around with a bag into which they can vomit after every night of drinking. Forget the drugs, forget the cocaine, forget the ecstasy. I just And the crack I, later. All of it. It yeah. really did seem to say redundant, yes, but it whew, it was a lot absorbed, uh, no pun intended. It was a lot to absorb. It really seemed boring after a while. Yes. And by the way, you know, this, if ever rock and roll history becomes a medium in which you can get a PhD or write a dissertation, I really think this, this period, this Manchester, Smith's New Order, you know, all of that time period is going to be a, a, an area of specialty. Like it's going to be a class that when they offer it to students, it's always going to be filled with people because of such a bizarre, abundant period. The Hacienda is so strange. It's so strange, Martha. The whole chapter, this whole Manchester thing is so weird. But anyway, I just, I was really taken by this bizarre, I'm gonna, I think it, there's even a term for it called lad, L-A-D, lad culture. It's like, look at how much I oh, can right. drink. Right. Look at it. And you know what? I think the equivalent would be something you and I, Martha, would not like in America. It would be the guy who has his baseball cap on backwards, who's got a son 
who wears his sunglasses <laughs> on the baseball cap, right? Uh, and maybe has that little patch under his lip. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. <laughs> and it just... And I'm cringing. Oh, my God. It goodness. is. It is. These people just seemed... They just seemed horrible. They really did. So I felt like all 700 pages of this book were kept aloft only by virtue of the fact that he was being so completely honest about every moment of the whole thing. And at the end result, however, was you certainly were honest, but God, you just all seem like horrible people, horrible people. And I just, and okay. So now I just had to get, that was my little soapbox, you know, I had to get that. And, you know, uh, we, we, when we, by the way, when we get to the part of the book, thank God it was at the end, like the last 20 pages when he goes into rehab. Oh, you know what? Right. I'm going to call rehab from now on John Taylor territory. You know, it's like the mandatory yes. Applebee's yes. of a rock star's life, which is, oh, I just had to go into rehab. And then I got my shit together, which is just, it's, I don't know, almost worse than when they were doing drugs. <laughs> Can I tell you something, <laughs> Christian, when I read that? I actually thought the same thing. I thought, oh, now you've become the self-righteous, self-righteous guy. You know, now right. you're you're against everyone having a good time, uh, even if they're not as excessive as you were. I mean, yeah, I, I felt similarly to that. He didn't seem self-righteous to me, but it just was so boring still. It's like, are we, there really is no other story arc for the rock and roll star. That's why, although I appreciate how honest he was being, it still followed the trajectory of every other boring rock star ever. You did a lot of drugs. You a lot is an understatement. You you fornicated <laughs> with every female oh apparently gosh. in the United States of America and England and wherever you name oh, it. Gosh. Yeah. And by the way, look, Martha, I know you don't want to talk about it, but I have since since reading this book, I have looked up the phrase "Jean loves Jezebel blowjob helmet" numerous times. Because, I mean, the level of the debauchery of this book and, and, and the things that they talk about and describe, it's so. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. And, and it's crass. And it's, and it's, it's everything. It's everything. <laughs> you know what? Look, if I, I don't know if this is a, really a digression or a product of the things that you and I are, are reading about. Okay. I was talking to a friend of mine and we're talking about, you know, success. And I think Sammy Hagar of all people. And he talked about the, the copious nature of just sex and sleeping with women. And he was married at the time and the guilt that he felt. And my friend said, well, you know, the cure for that is to, is to not be in a band. <clears throat> is to, if you're Sammy Hagar, if you're Peter Hook, if you're Bernard Sumner, and if you really value your marriage is, is to just stop the band. And I remember thinking, what human being on earth could withstand the temptation of that? Who could possibly say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that? But I really do feel like what we're reading about is the devil's playground here. There were some anecdotes in the book I will never, ever forget. And so I'm going to give our listeners an example of the kind of anecdotes that Peter shares. And it really did feel like a fly on the wall. I really did. And I got to, I would say I was impressed by the guy's memory considering how many drugs. <laughs> so was I, so was I. He tells a story. I remember reading it thinking, is this, am I reading this right? Is this possible? Is this, is this possible? He says, I think it was his manager or somebody, it doesn't even matter, knocks on his door. One of the many tours they're on, one of the many coke addled, drug out, you know, fueled moments. And <laughs> 
He opens the door and the guys are like, what story? Are, they're beet red. They're like, I mean, oh and I got my there, gosh, right? I could not stop. <laughs> I had to put the book down because I could not stop laughing. Right? I, I was could an, not stop laughing, I, Christian. I thought, I just, I thought I really, truly were. And this is what, again, blew my mind. I'm thinking of all bands, how is it the new order are the containers of stories like this to me? The most, you know, program, metronome, you know, I, I have mastered the art of computer oh to be a gosh. rock star. That how is it that story. these guys have these that stories? Story. So Peter Hook answers the doors and the guy's eyes are red. And you got to look. And if you're Peter Hook and you're doing drugs all day long, you have to assume everybody's eyes are red all the time. <laughs> This guy's eyes are so red that Peter Hook is like, dude, what's going on? And the guy says, I need help. And apparently, in his bizarre state, I don't know if it's ecstasy, crack, whatever. It was probably all of them. All of them. And trying to take off his contact lenses, he'd used so much force. He'd pushed, I hope you're listening. He had pushed his contact lenses into the back of his head. They had gone all the way into his skull, into his skull. And I got to tell you, Martha, when I read that sentence, I, that's when I realized you and I were really, we were on a journey nobody can understand. <laughs> nobody, nobody can understand. I really felt like I had become face to face with this person and these stories. And I thought, and what's really amazing about this book, that anecdote is a casual paragraph of maybe three sentences out of 700 pages and that's when i really just couldn't understand how forget keith richards i don't know how peter hook or bernard sumner or any member of new order or gene loves jezebel is alive at this point it is beyond comprehension quantity of ingestion of these people we haven't even gotten to the music yet i know there's something about the sort of there's like a, th- a thug-like quant- quality to the book. Thug-like. Like uh, proudly uneducated. I don't know how else to put it. It's like, I only want fish and chips, mate. And F you if you think differently. Well, it and was definitely, it was... Real quick. Do you remember when he says he didn't even know what a pizza was when he comes to America? Yes. And by the way, I respect that he was willing to say that. Because that's honesty. Yes. That's, you know, that's like, oh, my God, you don't even know what a pizza is. No, but you know what? That's the reason that I appreciated his book in a way that I didn't Bernard Sumner's because I really felt that he put himself out there by being totally honest. And like I said, maybe there was a lot of embellishment in some parts. Maybe there wasn't. Who knows? Only he knows. But I have to admit, Christian, as I was reading this book, I never came away with as I read page after page, I never came away with the feeling that he wasn't being himself. Right. And I never came away feeling like, oh, come on, you're putting, you know, you're lying to Look. me. I, I always felt that he was truly honest. Now, did I think that he was, um, that the book was very crass and very, yes, I thought all of that. You know what? I was almost going to say my knee jerk reaction was going to be, well, I disagree. That was what I was, was going to say. Um, but, you know, I do agree with you. There was a point where he exhaustively, okay, okay, yeah, I get it. There's just more naked women in your room yes. doing God knows what. And, you know what? I, the, the, his book was almost biblical in the sense that 
he, by the way, did you catch, there's a portion very, uh, I'd say about a third of the way through the book where, you know, you just lose count of the, the debauchery, the hedonism yes. of the whole thing. He casually does say that he talks about a woman's virtue and how she was casually given it away to him and yes. the thousands of women. And he very casually says, however, I came to see things differently later on. Yes. And it's, it really does take on like, a, I, I, look, I, I can only bring my own experience to it, but I really felt like this guy had lived the hedonistic life to such a level that he just burnt out the capacity to, to do that anymore. Just like he broke the switch, you know, it just doesn't work. It didn't work anymore. Anyway, before I, I feel like we should, we, we, I want to, oh my God. I mean, there's look, there's a lot to talk about. It's 700 pages. So I think we should take our time. And I, and I yeah. want to say, you keep referring to Bernard's book as if it were a book. And I got to say, even Debbie Harry's, as, as shitty as her book was, it had, I guess, elements once in a while of something, I guess. True. But Bernard's was just garbage. I really felt like it was, if you open a bag of Fritos and realize it's all air, and you've got three chips, and even those chips are just already smashed. Well, there was okay. nothing substantial in his book. It was garbage. I mean, it was, yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing to it. And so nothing. he left a huge void that Peter Hook happily Certainly decided filled. to step into. Certainly filled. I, I do want to, okay, I feel like I wish I were a more educated New Order fan so I could, like, discuss his, <laughs> who, who, Peter Hook is, was, as a bass player. Like, if you asked me about Andy Rourke as a contributor to the Smiths, I could really go, oh, my God, I could be passionate about that. And I could explain his contribution, explain how incredible that man's contribution to that band was. But I got, it was very bizarre to read about Peter Hook complaining. <sighs> this was the oddest book I've ever read of 700 pages by a yes. bass player. Okay? I'm sorry. It... <clears throat> I don't underst quite understand his his argument overall. His argument was, I guess, and you can't take this away from him. And Martha, this is the one thing you and I are doing is what Peter Hook did with his with with Bernard Summer and Ian Curtis and the drummer who will we will choose to remain anonymous. We'll get into that later. <laughs> I really feel like there is a certain cachet and a pedigree to being part of the thing at the moment it begins. And if your contribution starts to diminish over time, I, it's odd that you are still somehow, and I think I'm gonna, my gut tells me rightfully so, entitled to your still full share. It's like, hey, I was there when nobody cared. I was there when this was just a dream, and I believed in it, and I participated in it. And, and I, that's Peter Hook's share of it all. He was there when Ian Curtis died. He's there for Joy Division. He's there for New Order. But even by his own admission, he sort of, and I got it, it was interesting. He does describe every other sentence we, we read that Bernard Sumner is a twat. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> it was a great sentence. He calls him twato. T-W-A-T-T-O. <laughs> yes. He refers twato. to him that a few times. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. <clears throat> but you know, you, you know the Peter Hooks book is honest when he's return, <laughs> referring to him as twato, El Twato, the twat, and a whole variety of other names. But he will simultaneously tell you how talented he is, yes. how creative he is. And he says something, Martha, 
that you, I'm sure you must have, you must have sat up straight and said, are you kidding me? There's a moment in the book and I couldn't believe it. He says that Bernard Sumner is a better guitar player than Johnny Marr. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Because I had that reaction. Yeah. I remember (laughs) that reaction. What planet are we on? Who are you people? How did you ever become so successful? How? All of your songs are two chords. All of them. And Johnny Mars is just like, it's a tapestry of, of genius all by the age of 22. Right. We read about Tony Wilson, dead. Rob Gratton, the manager of New Order. By the way, he deserves his own book. That guy seems Oh my crazier. gosh. Yes, absolutely. Somebody needs to write a book about the craziest band managers managers of all time because he's certainly one of them and he was just i couldn't believe what i was reading about this guy i know he's insane and by the way it seems i tell you the we are you and i become musical geniuses martha it's true (laughs) we're learning so much because i'm learning so much about the personality type that becomes successful as the lead singer as the this or that the kind of assholeness that's required period i'm serious And I know I'm going to sound so absolutely square right now, Christian. I mean, I just know that I am. I just know that I am, but I'm going to say it. I just don't understand why, God, I'm going to sound like a PSA from the 80s for like say no to drugs, but I just don't understand why the drugs play such a big part. Is it because performers in general are are perhaps timid and it takes drugs for them to get out of their out of their shell and and perform like why why is that such a why does why do drugs play such a part or is it because they feel that they have to buy into that play into that cliche i think it's a personality type i mean i just don't I i just don't understand that i mean i think that if i was in a band i wouldn't want to have anything in my system, not even a drink, because I would want to be 100% present and I wouldn't want any chemical substance to interfere with that. I would want to be feeling everything 100%, my interaction with the audience, my performance, my interaction with my band. And so I just don't understand how that, what drives it, what, and even, you know, even at one point where, um, where he's talking about all the sleeping around that they all did, right? I mean, that's just incredible. The amount, I mean, it's just, it was just too much. But anyway, at one point he says that there were times where he didn't even want to sleep with anyone, but he just did it. You know, like he just did it. And he even says he would literally sometimes just fall asleep on top of someone because he was just not even into it. And I'm thinking, well, then why were they doing it? It's, I mean, he was married. Was there never, I, I mean, it was it just marriage by, by saying that he was no. married. I don't understand. I just, I just, I guess I don't understand the male psyche as well as I, as I thought I have all these years, but it was just, it was also excessive. And I just don't understand if again, I mean, and, and you may be right. Maybe it's just a personality type, you know, it's, it's a certain personality that, that is in a band and that, and that engages in all of this. And maybe they're just programmed differently from the rest of us. Who knows? I mean, I, I, I will never know. Uh, but it just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And, and as I was reading this, I kept thinking, 
boy, I feel so square and conservative right now. I mean, again, I wasn't shocked by anything in the sense where it was like, oh my goodness, what is this? I can't read this. You know, it was nothing like that, but it was just so excessive. And boy, we've already read about a lot of excessive behavior of this type in other books, but I felt this was just a whole other a whole other level of crazy. And again, Bernard Sumner, like, really? He was engaging in this? Like you said, you look at that guy. I can't even believe he was scoring as many chicks as he was. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, like, me like, truly. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, that's, I, I even told Nick that. I even said that to Nick as I was reading it. I thought, I said, honestly, like, with all due respect, they're not exactly the best looking guys. You know? No. I mean, they're really not. And, how were they scoring so many women? I just don't get it. I mean, is it power, are, honey? Are, but power. are some women that I guess, I guess, I guess there just is no accounting for taste, you know? Because honestly, I would imagine that you would want the guy to be. I mean, okay, so he's a rock star, cool, but he's not even attractive. Just to say that you're with a rock star, but at least make him be hot. I mean, then make it worth your time. I don't know. It just. Frankly, to me, those men do not have any sex appeal at all whatsoever. So I was dumbfounded by it all. And the fact that so many women wanted to be with them, I just did not get it. I did not get it. And I don't understand. Well, in case if any male is listening, Martha has explained to you in copious detail why you should start a band. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I don't know. It just, well, that's his whole, like I said, you'd have to be in the head of a, uh, of a man and it's a pretty gross place to live in. I can tell you from experience. <laughs> I, I, I don't It is. To. It's just, <laughs> you and I are at the ages of these people when their entire careers are complete and behind them. I know. And that's hard for me to read, quite honestly. You know, as I'm sitting there in my chair, I'm casually reading about all the adventures that somebody went on. And I've just been, you know, reading books in my chair. That's what I've been doing. And it's kind of hard to read. And half of these people, Martha, you know, we read, they die of this, die of that. They're all dead. Before, younger than we are. Right. They're dead. It's hard to read that stuff. It is hard to read that. You're right. And, and let's, let's just say that we are younger than the members of New Order by, by more than yes. 10 years. We are younger. At least. At least. <laughs> we are younger than that. You know, I've also noticed there comes a... There's a point in, in all these people's success, except for maybe Johnny Marr, who terminated the band early, if you will, or maybe at the right time. Looking where, back, I think he ended it at the right time. Perfect time. Perfect. Because, because Never it, reform. Never, Johnny, if you're listening. Yeah, I don't think he is. <laughs> <laughs> that he's not listening or that he won't reform the Smiths. <laughs> or yeah, both. I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose. <laughs> both. But if you stay together too long, it, it really does seem like the band becomes this machine. Like we must start another album now to make money. We're offered yes. a million dollars. And I don't know when that moment happens, but it happens for a band. And suddenly it just seems like you as individuals su- surrender collectively to this thing you've created. And that thing becomes larger than you and has a life of its own. And it's going to make a record every five years. And you know, even the song titles were just atrocious at the end. Right. Oh, by the way, yes. so we read, going back to like that lad culture and stuff. So Peter Hook, in case you don't know, he played the bass for New Order, okay? <laughs> okay. which is bizarre. Yeah, you know what? I got to say, he, so Peter Hook's complaint throughout the book 
is that as the band went on and on, Bernard Sumner becomes more and more of a geek savant. And by the way, we did ignore that portion of his book, which I did find fascinating, is that Bernard Sumner really does seem to be an audiophile-like computer nerd. He built some of those those computers by from scratch. Yes, he did. That was I remember thinking, wow, that is a definite, specific, passionate kind of person. And I, I my hat was off to that kind of studious, you know, focus that that laser sharp kind of. And Peter Hook confirms that by saying that Bernard Sumner and I think a lot of creatives this way are intensely lazy people. In terms of the entirety of their life, except for the thing that they're passionate about, which is art. And when it comes to that thing, they're perfectionists and they're hard workers and they'll work through the night for like days on end. But when it comes to all the rest of it, showing up on time, right? (laughs) Having manners, being courteous, being decent to people, they can't be bothered. They're just, right. they live a different life. Uh, and I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. Maybe if you behave that way long enough, you'll become a creative. He then decides to go, he creates a new band. And he <laughs> cho- the name of his band is called Revenge. And I just thought, I can't. I this know. is the worst, most pedantic, boring. It's like you're a 12-year-old. You really chose the name Revenge for your band? Really, are you five? This is what we're doing now. This is revenge. I couldn't, I can't, I can't go farther than that. I mean, I, I really felt like that summed up Peter Hook for me. Call me a snob, but I don't care. Revenge. He called his band revenge. <laughs> he called them revenge. You know what I thought about when I read revenge? I thought about that, that band. She wants revenge. <laughs> that's that's better. <laughs> and I thought that's better. That's what I reminded me of. And I thought, oh, I wonder if she wants revenge. Got their name from revenge. I thought, no, there's no way that they got that name from Peter Hook. <laughs> he then goes on to discuss. He starts a career with a straight face. You and I, as readers, are supposed to read about him starting a quote unquote career as a DJ. Yes. And I'm just, I, I can't. Uh, he seemed to be the only one to not understand that the only reason anybody paid him any money is because he was Peter Hook playing right. his favorite records. And I got to say, even though Bernard Sumner does seem to be like the biggest dickhead on the planet so far, you and I have read about, he seemed to be completely correct about his attitude towards Peter Hook and all of his DJing because we read that Peter Hook, incredibly, I couldn't believe this. What? He's paid, I don't know, 5,000 British pounds per session, right? Right. Or more. And he wants to play New Order songs. Yes. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And Bernard Sumner has to come along and say, what are you doing? You can't play New Order songs, you idiot. I mean, that's it's self-evident. That's it. And and Peter Hook's like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see it. The crowd loves it, you know? And it's <laughs> like, I don't... But by the same token, um, that at that one gig where they are both DJing, because we have to re- uh, let our listeners know that at one point they are DJing at the very same event. And that's when Bernard tells Peter, I can't believe you're doing this. Stop playing New Order. What are you doing? I know. I but know. then he, he doesn't listen to him and he continues to play New Order. And then Bernard says, this is great. Keep playing them because the crowd starts going wild. So, no. you know. I think Bernard sold that too. But he says, I respected the fact that he said that he was DJing because it was easy money. I respected his honesty and he needed money and it was easy yeah. money and why not do it? I mean, I get it. But then there was that whole thing, remember, where um, part of his contract was that he couldn't say 
yeah. or that they couldn't bill him as a uh, formerly of New Order or with New Order or formerly with Joy Division or whatever. And so, but a lot of the promoters um, ignored that sometimes because, of course, what would have been the draw? Who would have been, you know, I mean, that, that right. was the draw. The fact that he was in New Order or had been and that he'd been part of uh, Joy Division as well. So, I mean, obviously, without New Order and Joy Division, neither he nor Bernard would have had a career beyond what it was. I mean, that's obviously the case, but it did, was. Mm-hmm. Did you know? I'm sure you noticed because you read the book, Martha. With a straight <laughs> face, a straight face. I think he was sincere. He was in the works of starting a new band with with Manny from the Stone Roses. Yes. And Andy Rourke. Yep. From the Smiths. And he was actually these three bass players. And maybe this is why they're they're just the bass players, and you can't trust them to be to spearhead the band. They wanted to call their band Free Bass. Yes, <laughs> Martha. I can't. I can't even mock that. I know. I, I can't know. even mock that. It's so awful. It's so. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Three bass players. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? What could you imagine? What, that? what that would have been like, though. I mean, oh my goodness. Oh, my I don't, goodness. I don't, I don't even know. <sighs> There's something else I wanted to, Martha. Okay, talk about. Okay, there's a, <laughs> there's a, in fact, you know, and again, I'm bringing to it my own personal experiences. Who knows? Um, and overall, by the way, I, I, I have to. I don't know if recommends the word, but it is a. This book is a thorough experience. It is certainly a, you will get your money. It is a thorough behind the scenes backstage pass. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think if anyone wants to yeah. get the full experience of what being a rock star is like without right. being one yourself, this is the book for you. That's it, boy. This is it. It gives you everything and then some. It's got everything, everything. Well, yeah, I guess if everything is, you know, you know, there are, there are portions. I, I, I look, I forgot. We read about they're on tour of some opening band. The guy throws a fit and he smashes the bar top. Oh, right. And, well, there were a couple of those then, instances. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like $5,000 casually. And then they ruin another Peter Stark chair, $2,000. Oh, right. And, In Brazil, I think that was. Yeah. And look, look, I'm not. I don't go around saying, hey, look, there's if you don't eat your food, there's somebody starving in China. But there kind of is somebody starving in China. You know what I mean? Yes. So reading these books, I don't know. I felt it was a very complex experience reading this book. I felt a little guilty reading it because not only did you get to lead this hedonistic lifestyle, but now I'm reading about it. I felt kind of complicit a little bit. I understand what you're saying. And he just seemed I don't look, you know, I'm willing to look like a dick right now. The guy seemed kind of not worthy of the experience. He just looked gross to me. May I be honest with you, Martha? Yes. And he just seemed crass and gross. He's all tatted up with random tats all over his body, drinking his random beers. And he looks like a guy who's never read a book before. Although, if if which, which is weird, if we're to understand correctly, it's from Peter Hook that so many of the titles came. It's he, he yes. seemed, despite the, the abundance of the 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 brain destructor drugs he seemed to be like the the smarter one of the band 
And he a little al- bit. Yes. And he often talked about whenever they traveled, um, he always carried books with him. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But yes, I got the same impression. I, I felt that he he just seemed very, very rough around the edges. You know what? I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. And you know what? Sometimes that worked because I, he was being honest about who he was. Yes. And other times I felt like, okay, you're being super honest. You're not somebody I'd want to spend time with. I appreciate your honesty, but at the end of the day, you're not somebody I want at my dinner table. You want to know why? Because when I'm sitting with somebody at a dinner table, Martha, I don't want to have to worry that you're going to pick up a bread roll and throw it at the back of Bono's head Yes. at a, at a dinner party. And that's Peter Hook. He seemed to think that just being a prankster and being obnoxious was sort of a character trait that was endearing. Yes. And I don't think it is. Yeah, I, neither do I, I. At all. I find those people on just, I can't. They're just insufferable. They're not smart or bright. And if that's your contribution, it's not particularly imaginative. You know, that's exactly how I felt, Christian. I appreciated his uh, candor and his honesty and his absolute raw honesty. I did appreciate that. And I, and as, as off-putting as I found it at times, I, I thought, well, you know what? He's being himself. He's being totally honest. Is this someone that I would want to sit across the table from and have him tell me all these stories in all their gory detail? No, not exactly. But but I appreciated um, all of his honesty because I, I truly felt that this was him not pretending to be anything other than himself. Uh, but it was just so much of it. It was it was just so much of the same stories over and over. And, you know, at one point I was telling Nick, I said, I feel like he just wrote this book to brag about all the women he had sex with. I mean, that's at one point it kind of started coming across that way to me. Um, and I thought, okay, like we get the picture. You've already shared enough. Do you need? And then the fact that he would name them, you know, that he would name so many of them, I thought... I don't know. I don't know. So much of this book was um, was a little off-putting to me. But again, I, I was conflicted about it because I did appreciate the honesty. So I, I had a hard time sort of putting those two things. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know. Part of me was just kind of like, I can't read this anymore. And I felt the same, you know, like what you said. I felt, I don't know if complicit is the way I'd want to describe the way I felt, but I, I felt like, why am I reading more of this? I mean, why? I mean, I, I was, yeah. you know, like, why am I bothering? I already know what the rest of this book is going to be like, because it's been yeah. like this for the last 500 pages. And yeah. I still have 200 and some pages to go. And everything right. has essentially been hey, the same. Martha's not every blowjob is the same. Oh, my God. Some are different. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my, oh, let me delete that from my brain. <laughs> you know, I, you and I, I we have a push and a pull on you know your feminist position and my like okay whatever it's not the same as yours but i think we i'm not gonna say we're gonna we agree but i was fascinated by the extent to which he seemed to hate the female member of his band and oh yeah if i felt that way i was really curious how you felt because he didn't take a moment to denigrate how useless uh Jillian, I forget her last name. Gilbert. It is Gilbert is in the band. And and I thought, you know what? You got to be careful with Peter Hook because again, unless I'm misunderstanding 
your contribution to this band that seems to be com- comprised 99% of electronic music is a bass that that apparently we can't even hear in the mix anyway. Right. So for for you to he really leveled a lot of animosity, a surprising amount of of vitriol to her. I was really surprised that it, it seemed you know what too it seemed not just here's a band member whose contribution seems minimal at best. He singled out almost her gender in a way that seemed seemed uh, a little crass. And that's again I'm I'm not one to subscribe to your pages of feminism all the time. But this guy stood out a little bit like he, he seemed unaware of it or not or he didn't care. Well, I don't, I don't think he cared. And, yeah. you know, what was interesting was that I had such an issue with that one condescending paragraph in Bernard's book about her, uh, you know, that really bothered me where he was saying like, oh, you know, well, when she finally learned how to play her instrument or, you know, and, that, right. and that really kind of bugged me. But reading uh, about the way he describes her, it was just relentless i mean it wasn't it it wasn't in every page or you know but when he did mention her it was always to criticize her it was always to put her down it was always to say that she was no good and frankly all i kept thinking was why didn't you guys get rid of her then i mean why Hmm. did you and and i understand why because of steven you know i understand that that was the reason but by the same token okay well then have a talk with him and tell him if you don't want to uh, come out and 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 get rid of her right away. At least explain to her partner what's going on, and maybe you know he can deliver the news, or I don't know, do something. But to go on and on again, and you know how I don't like that in general when they just keep going on and on and on about whatever, and you know these disagreements or these feelings of animosity. It's just kind of like, well, just deal with it and be over with it already. And that was my feeling about it. I thought, you know. Okay, so you didn't like her. And yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a lot. I mean, the way that he talks about her, he's constantly putting her down. Yeah. Essentially saying that she was worthless. I mean, he he Yeah. That's pretty, pretty much, much that's pretty much what he says. Worthless. About. Yeah. Worthless. Yes. And he doesn't have any qualms about stating that over and over again. Uh and and I thought, well, why didn't he just get rid of her? I mean, clearly if someone is bothering you that much in your band, get rid of her. Uh, so that was the part that I just didn't quite understand. I, I I kept thinking to myself, if I have a problem with someone, I'm gonna tell them that I have a problem with someone and end that problem. But he, they just didn't. And he said, and he says that it was both he and Bernard that just didn't like her. And I thought to myself, well, in that regard, I guess Bernard was kind to her in his book because he never went anywhere near as far as he did about criticizing her and talking about her yeah, the way he did. That just. But I'm but sorry, the, but then but... again, but then again, he didn't do that about anything, you know? I mean, so there's that too. But I just felt for me it did bother me because it was so so much. Uh but I thought again, they should have just had her they should have just kicked her out of the band. You know what? So I don't give any props to Bernard Sumner for not saying anything. The guy I, I have heard, and I'm bringing it to Johnny Marr, <clears throat> that Johnny Marr is as much as I will love him forever and do and do, I would love to have him at my dinner table, by the way. Um, I've heard that he's a two-faced individual. He's very glad handery. He just puts on the face he wants you to see. And, and oh, really Johnny Moore? Johnny Moore. Oh, I could see it. that. I could totally yeah. see that. And I feel like Bernard Sumner is the same. And that's why he and Johnny fit together in, in electronic, which is one of the shittiest bands of all time. By the way, I don't even think of them as a band. It's like a super ego project. It's garbage. <laughs> So I don't give any props to Bernard Sumner for not being, you know, uh, 
coming clean with his his animosity hatred uh, towards uh, yeah towards, i uh, mean at least at the very minimum it's the only extra point peter hook gets and i guess that's a takeaway for me in this book it's like i get you were brutally honest but you only get one extra point because you really just seem like a dick you do you really do. Uh, and I, I guess I'm glad. I don't know that you got your act together. You're going around touring, playing Joy Division's album. Yeah. It really seems terrible. That to me seems so... Desperate. It's like desperate. <laughs> like you bought your own franchise. You bought a Joy Division franchise so you could go out and play those albums. Yeah. Pretending, oh, I'm just doing this as a gift to people who never got to hear Joy Division live. They can't. Ian Curtis is dead. Bernard Sumner won't do it. You're just just trotting. You might as well just play. You might as well just show up. Be more honest. Rent out a hall. Say, I'm Peter Hook. Here's my bottle of wine. I'm going to now play your favorite album called Unarmed Pleasures or whatever you want. I don't care. You're paying right. me money. Right. And I need it because I, I spent my money poorly. And I don't blame him for that, by the way. But I don't know about you, Martha. I never, ever, ever blame these, these rock stars for being bad business people. Who, there's no preparation for being a rock star. There's just no, there's none. So I don't blame them at all that, that he blew all of his money in the Hacienda. Well, no, somebody- I, I disagree with that. I think that if you're a rock star, sure, there's not a handbook that comes with it, but you have enough money. Well, in their case, they didn't just because they just were just mismanaged and they were just clueless. But I think that if you are a rock star and you have enough money, then you hire people and you educate yourself. I mean, let me tell you, if I was a rock star and I came into a ton of money, I may not know a darn thing about how to be a rock star and how to manage all of this money, but I'm sure as hell going to hire people and teach myself and have people teach me on how to Martha, make sure that my that's, money... That's why you're not a rock star. <laughs> oh, is that why? That's, that's why that I'm not why? a rock star. Is that why? We're too cautious. We're too afraid. We stop. We slow down at yellow lights. <laughs> you know, we we don't bring 11 items, the 10 item only. We're just, we rule, we're rule followers. No, we're but I mean, I, I'm going to want to learn. I mean, you know. You're not... <sighs> But you're no. right. That's probably why. Because you know what? We they were too busy partying and putting their money up their nose that they didn't care what was happening because they were too busy having what they considered to be fun. And again, I don't know how that much drug use could even be there fun. Was, there were a couple look, there were definitely, however, some anecdotes where I was <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at I mean, how could you not? Yeah, there, there were some where I totally laughed too. So for instance, to like our listeners, for instance, there's a great <laughs> I just I love this one personally. He says he's playing. <laughs> he's Which playing one of. On? It's just a random one, but for me, I just thought, God, that's so real life. That's so funny. He's playing a random New Order gig out of a million, right? And he he <laughs> he has the wrong. I don't know if he he just okay. There's a set list for the show. But he falls out of rhythm with the set. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, I remember this. I so guess. he's playing the whole gig, going, "God, this gig is shit. Why does it sound so bad?" It's because he played <laughs> the wrong bass line yes. for every song of the evening because yeah. he had the wrong set list. And I just thought, "God, that's so real. That's so real life. That's so." 
specific and I could relate to that one. Just, yeah, you that, know, that was funny. Like, ah, that's just another show. And by the way, I, I'd never, I didn't know Martha, you and I, I don't know if our listeners know this. I'm sure most of them do because they're fanatics for us. <laughs> is that we're from LA yes. and Irvine, Irvine Meadows is apparently it's the site of, of many, many famous shows, you know, Smith's yes. right there. Yes. and it, we read that Peter Hook really considers it like a big, you know, Oh, Irvine Meadows. Like, I know. It was a, yeah. It was, a, <laughs> it was always a big one on their tour. You know, I, I know. All I kept thinking was Irvine Meadows. <laughs> me too. Me too. Right. <laughs> Irvine Meadows. You in Irvine? You mean with all that ample parking? And, and oh just for God. anyone who is listening to right. us who is not no. from the LA area, Irvine is. It's the most un LA place ever. <laughs> and it is the most uh, business parks. Oh, where there's just tons yes. of tons of offices, office oh buildings, and parking structures. Oh and uh, I mean, it is not the most glamorous place in Southern California. Let me just say that. And so when when he talks about it, as though it was, <laughs> I don't know. Irvine Meadows. <laughs> wow. And I'm thinking, oh boy, you really are from not from around here. <laughs> At all. You I couldn't have put it better. If a business park could be a town. It would be Irvine. Well, Meadows. that's all there is, Christian. I it, mean, what's there? Is. What's there? There's nothing. <laughs> I got to tell you, Martha, real quick, since this fits. When I went to England, when I was long, I won't get into it. I was 21 years old. I was by myself. I just arrived off the plane. I mean, I had just arrived in 21. I'm, I'm literally wearing my green Oasis T-shirt that I received when I bought Oasis' first album. Okay. And... You know, I'm all jet lagged. And I tell the driver of the taxi cab after I've taken a train for quite some time, he's like, where am I taking you to? And I go, I want to go to Manchester. I said that because, you know, I mean, my entire musical, it's it's all Manchester. The vineyards of of all my favorite wines are in Manchester. I go, I want to go to Manchester. The taxi cab driver said to me, mate, I don't think you do. Like he was looking out for me. Like I uh, yeah wow. yeah so well it was it was back in the nineties I the don't time think the, anything you know. has changed and I don't I'm not gonna find out by showing up and having my ass kicked oh my gosh you know when we were there in England I wanted of course to make my pilgrimage to Manchester too right but there wasn't enough time <laughs> you know so we ended up going elsewhere uh, but but nonetheless after having read this I don't know that I want to go to Manchester. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm kind of scared to go there now. I mean, has right. it changed? I wonder if it's if any people so. from Manchester are listening. Tell us, should we go and visit your your city? You know what? I'm <laughs> going to insult them even further. They probably aren't because they're getting drunk and hammered, doing oh. coke, starting clubs, <laughs> and not reading books. Oh and no! You know, and you know what? If that pisses somebody off, I bet you that's the only thing they respect is like attitude. And I got to tell you, I came to this conclusion, Martha, only because. I've experienced your Mancunians. I've experienced the Noel Gallagher's. I've experienced the Peter Hooks. And who seem to think it's like a tribal, like biker gang thing. They want me to know, which is we're tough and we're, we're you know, we're out of control, man. And we can drink you under the table. And believe it or not, I'll let you win that competition without even trying. <laughs> we don't want any part of it. We just okay, that said, that said, you know, again, again, 
Look, you know what, Martha? Yes. I'd have to say the book, again, and I refuse to even consider Bernard Sumner's book a book at this point. It really was. And Peter Hook, I think, would be glad to hear it. I don't even consider it an offering. It was garbage. Okay. Well, it didn't, were, it didn't give us anything. I mean, it, it really did And I will say, despite whatever feelings I have about Peter Hook in this book, it's certainly something you can have a reaction to, you can talk about. Clearly, we're doing that. And there's, yes. I mean, there, there's a detail. I thought of it just, to, Martha, just today. I thought of Peter Hook. And you might forever think of Peter Hook forever. And, and you readers and listeners might too when you listen to this detail. And I thought, you know what? It's little bits like this that, that make me... But I just, this is why I love reading books like this. He says that the, the toilets in the hacienda, okay, where I guess we're always backed up, which is yes. disgusting. So gross. And, and he says that all the regulars, and apparently it was a big thing to be a regular, you know, hundreds and hundreds of young people would go to the hacienda like eight days a week. And you could tell who a regular was because the, the bottoms of their jeans, the cuffs of their jeans. Yes. We're stained black with the, with the, with the, okay, hold on. Ready, ready? With the fecal matter. Apparently the fecal matter was like a liquid covering uh, on the floors of the Hacienda bathrooms. I know. I was so and grossed out went, when I read that. If you went into the Hacienda bathrooms, your jeans would soak up the fecal matter uh, of the backed up toilets. And I just thought, you know, this is definitely, you know, I'm getting my money's worth, for better or worse. <laughs> I mean, really, Martha, you and I know details like this. Oh, if I we, know. If you and I went to Manchester and somebody was about to kick our ass, we could pass for a Manchester Mancunian because we have these stories. We could say, oh, I've got jeans filled with shit. I belong here. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd say, all right, mate. Okay. Barely, but I'm going to keep my eye on you. Okay, oh my, we've read all about Manchester in the night. We have. <laughs> we are specialists, and I got to tell you, there were there's one other there was one other moment of the book that I read, and I got to tell you, it's it's the kind of anecdote that I personally like live for. I live for as a music lover, as a anecdote lover, as the Caucasian male who collects useless information. Right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whatever. He says about uh, 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 Dave Stewart, okay, uh, who is, if you don't know, if you're listeners, by the way, I'm disappointed if you don't. Yeah, if you don't know, that's a problem. It's a problem. It means you, you just, I don't know what to say, you're just not cool enough. It means your genes aren't, aren't saturated with fecal matter like <laughs> they should be. He was one half of the Eurythmics. And apparently, I don't know if it's true or not, but after uh, Blue Monday, which really is a seminal landmark moment in, in music. And just today, Martha, on YouTube, when I was, you know, I'd go to YouTube and have suggestions for you. Apparently, yes. I don't know. One of it was like a three-minute discussion. Some random woman had posted on how Blue Monday transformed all, A-L-L, all of music. That's mm. how apparently, whether or not you agree with it, that's right. apparently how definitive Blue Monday, the song was. And apparently... According to legend, which I love, I love stories like that, Martha. When Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics heard it, he had to pull over to the side of the road. Right. And he put his head in his hands and said, oh, no, we have to start from scratch now. Yeah. We have to start all over. 
And I just, and I think Martha, I don't know about you. That is always what, for all the, I'm going to use the word again. I know you don't like it. For all the blowjobs we read about, all the drugs, the this, the that, the arguing, the pissy theatrics of the ego. It's that part of the artist, which I find so intoxicating. So do I, Christian. I just do. These artists at the end of the day are so enamored with one another, of one another's achievements, of the art form. They're just so in love with music. And it's a moment like that that makes all 700 pages of the Coke (laughs) and the ecstasy and the contact lenses on the back of the skull (laughs) that that make it so worth it for me, man. It really does. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I could have read less than the 700 pages of all of that. But with that said, I agree with you. It was a lot of the anecdotes that really did it for me. And it was a lot of those anecdotes that we find in his uh, notes about, in his timelines as well. You know, he had all those timelines and he had, again, the the stories about the songs and all of that. And so those were the bits that I found absolutely fascinating that I was really, really into. You know, like there's that one um, other anecdote that he talks about where Johnny Moore had asked him to work on a record together. I'm glad you brought that up. And he said to him, it would be the best guitarist in Manchester with the best bassist in Manchester. (laughs) And that stood out to me because I thought, boy, Andy Warwick must not have been happy to have read that if he read this book. But, but, you know, things like that. And then, you know, of course, later when he's interviewed, when Peter Hook is interviewed, and he tells the interviewer that, in fact, Johnny had reached out to him first because there's always competition between both he and Bernard Sumner. And he tells the interviewer that, in fact, Johnny had reached out to him before he'd ever gone to work with Bernard. Uh, You know, that's blown up as, oh, he's just saying that there's no way that could have happened. But he swears that it happened and that he turned Johnny Marr down. So So I'm glad you brought that up to to bring it back to why I I think I brought Johnny Marr to begin with about how two-faced he is, is, you know, Again, if if nothing else, Peter Hurt certainly seemed to develop some credibility from his book. He's just he paints himself so much so often to be such an unlikable person. You don't doubt you don't doubt the stories that he's telling. Exactly. You, you so he says that the Johnny Marr, I forget. I'm sure you just said it better than I did. He made an offer or made a statement of some kind. And later on, when Peter Hook. <clears throat> repeated it, Johnny Marr backpedaled, said, I never said that. I never said that. Right. And it seemed, again, very Bernard Sumnerian. Yes. It seemed like, oh, I think, I think I'm, think i you know, through all the reading that we're doing, Martha, what I really love about this, and again, what I, again, would have loved about reading like a, a hundred books of Beatles that I read, is you start to get a, a rounded picture of these human beings, to the, to the extent that you can about anybody, really. Right. But I, you know, I enjoy getting a, a rounded picture of people whose art made such an impact on my life, even if it's not for the better. I don't need Johnny Marr to be perfect. I'm okay with him being two-faced and weak. And sometimes he's still, to me, overall, just, you know, he's just, oh, man, he's Johnny Marr. You know, he's, he, I, I just have nothing but love for the guy, even though I read what I read about him. And I believe it. I believe Peter Hook. So do I. You know what? I was thinking as we're talking, it's interesting. I think I'm sure I would have more in common with Bernard Sumner 
even though I feel like I know nothing about him, I feel like he and I would probably watch the Netflix shows we watch are probably more alike. The music we like, the things we think are probably more alike. But I appreciate that at the end of the day, I think Peter Hook is probably more loyal as a human being. He might be a little more primitive sounding and seeming. He, he, that's how he came across, passionately so. Like, I want you to think I'm this guy. And I got that impression. He seemed to be more loyal. And it's a bizarre dichotomy. Like, I don't know about you, but I have variety of friendships that are this way. Some people are more primal and more loyal. You know what I mean? Yes. And Peter Hook is that, I think. He will pay your... And by the way, okay, okay. I mean, bring it to this. I, I, I hope you had the same thought I did. I don't know how many stadiums New Order has sold out, sold out, how many albums they've sold, how many, whatever, whatever, right? Right. You know, the odds are, you know, even though you and I, Martha, we're going to go on to become stars like you and I can't even imagine. I'm sure it's already happened. <laughs> Be that as it may. He tells a story, and this goes back to like our, our discussion about Suede and Brett Anderson and, and Bernard Butler, and really all dynamic personalities. And I love this part of the book. He talks about... A variety of times that he and Bernard Sumner went out for dinner. Oh my gosh. Right? And you know where I'm going with this. And yes. really, and this is what I was talking about with Bernard Sumner's book and about how what was really completely lacking was any notion of his relationships with people. Because all of life, the human existence, to me as we know, it comes down to human relationships, your feelings for them, your antagonisms, all of those things. And for all the stadiums they've sold out, all the albums uh, they've recorded, yes. all the movies that have been made about them, all the sun-kissed commercials, right, that could have been made. <laughs> At the commercial. end of the day, human beings are the same. Because what it came down to, and I really, really felt like it, this is where his book, like, okay, I vote yes for your book. I recommend it. He would go out to dinner with Bernard Sumner who, I don't know, he's a millionaire 10 times over, 20 times over. Bernard Sumner, over and over and over, when the check arrived, he would either be in the bathroom or find, he would literally say, oh, I left my wallet at home, right? Yes. And Peter Hook would have to pay the tab over and over and over. Except and for the one time. Except for the one time when his wife, which I appreciate, I loved hearing. Can I? Okay. Can I, I just, love that. Can I just ahead, tell you go something? Ahead. Go ahead. When I read that about his wife, Peter Hook's wife, telling Bernard Sumner after like the third time this had happened with them being at dinner together. And this was uh, Bernard and, and his wife and Peter Hook and his wife. And they're out having dinner. And this was the third time where Bernard Sumner said he'd forgotten his wallet. So what does Peter Hook's wife do? She gets him up to go to a cab, go to his house and get his wallet so he can come back and pay. And I have to tell you, Christian, Loved when it. I read that, I thought I like her because I'm not even joking with you. That is something I would do if I was out to dinner with Nick and another couple friend of ours and the other guy or woman said, oh, I forgot my wallet for the third time. I would I'm that person that I would say something. I wouldn't just sit there and be like, oh, okay, well, we're going to cover it this time again. I would definitely say something. And so when she did that, I was like, I'm high-fiving his wife for having done that because he just sounds like such a cheapskate. And I believe, yeah. I believe Peter Hook. I believe him. I do believe yeah. him. I do yeah, believe I do him. Too. 
he tells another story of uh, he and Bernard Sumner out and about. And, and you know what? Oh, there was one sentence of the book, Martha. I hope you had the same right. I'm sure you did. Peter Hook managed to crystallize in a single sentence. I, I was honestly very impressed. I know I sound like I'm, I'm being condescending. Maybe I am. I'm a dickhead. People told me that doesn't matter. <laughs> he says, Bernard Sumner, this was New Order. Bernard Sumner was alone in his room. Peter Hook hung out with the roadies. Yes. And Steve and Jillian had each other. Yes. And I and I really I just thought that was so insightful. Yes. I mean, I, I know it's simple, but I'm not I'm not I'm not particularly good at simple at really crystallizing things. I really thought he did that. That said everything. And it said everything. And I, yes. I I I was really it I do think it takes kind of insight to crystallize relationships and distill them into the fewest amount of words. And that really, it's actually, when I read it, I stopped completely and thought, oh, wow. I, I was taken aback, quite honestly, yes. by how insightful that was. Yes, because and that it, said everything you needed to know about, about yeah, and their and dynamic. Really and their dynamic, yes. It did. Like the roadies are crap. I mean, this is the impression he creates. I don't know if it's true, that the roadies are blue collar. And that's where Peter Hook is most comfortable. Yes. And Bernard Sumner is an, a self-appointed erudite, just prima donna. And probably so. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I think I, and I'm okay enough with myself to realize, I think I'm probably a lot like Bernard Sumner, who probably is a snobby dickhead. And, but I think there's a little of me that, or a lot, I don't know anymore, that appreciates at the end of the day, I would I, I want somebody who's loyal to me. And I think I'd like to hang out with the roadies who are a little more crass, but you know. And can I tell you something? I, I was I can't help but sometimes also put myself in the position of these people as I'm reading these books. Who would I be more friendly with? Who would I be aligning myself more with? And and I thought I was thinking about that as I was reading his book too. And I have to be honest with you, Christian, and, and this might probably surprise you a little bit about me, but I would probably be more likely to want to spend time hanging out with, if I had to choose between Peter Hook and Bernard Subner, I'd probably spend more time with Peter Hook. Yeah. Because uh, you know what you see is what you get at least. Right? Yes. And, and because even though, you know, like I said earlier, he, even though he is a little rough around the edges, uh, I, I feel I can, I can, I can hang with people like that, even if they are a little rough around the edges in part because they're telling me who they are up front and I don't have to guess or wonder. Uh, and, and I prefer that type of personality. And so, but on the other hand, and you know, I, I could see also needing space and just be like, okay, I need a to go and be by myself and all of that. But I, I could see myself alternating between both of those worlds very easily. If I was in the band, if I was, if I had been in new order, for instance, and I didn't have uh, a partner the way that, you know, Steven and, and Jillian had each other, I could see myself alternating between both of those worlds where I would be hanging out with Peter Hook and the roadies and kind of hanging out with, I mean, I don't think that I'd be doing all the drugs that they were doing, but I could see myself being there and kind of laughing and hanging out and then, okay, guys, I'm going to go now and I need to relax now. But it seems like Bernard just absolutely was like, I don't want any part of this. I mean, he wanted part of the partying, but he was just 
a little bit more aloof. It came across that way anyway. Like he was too good for them. Oh yeah, for sure. Way too good. Except for when they had drugs for him. <laughs> then everything was good. <laughs> you know, he tells stories about Bernard. I, you know, the, 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 there's a single unforgivable sentence that a celebrity can speak out loud. It, to me, there's no way back from it. You ready for what it is? What? Really, there's no way back. I can think of two celebrities that I've heard who've said the sentence out loud, and I forever think differently of them. The sentence is, don't you know who I am? Oh. And yeah. Bernard Sumner repeatedly has expressed that concept. Yes. He t- I mean, Peter Hook tells stories about, Ber- about Bernard Sumner just saying to fans who've lined up, you know, come on, come on. He's just, just overt irritation, displeasure. Yes. Time is money. Time is money. Uh, he just seems to have completely uh, become unmoored from any original starting point of humanity. And again, I, 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 I don't know that I blame him. I can't speak to what it's like. I can't. I don't know what it's like at that level. I don't. But I can say that at that point, you, you have become somebody I don't want to know. Somebody I, for, you know, I, you, you're just the starting you, the, the person you were when you began this thing would never have tolerated or wanted to know the person you had become. When you become the person who says, don't you know who I am? You have officially, the, the canary in the coal mine just died and somebody needs to shoot you in the head. But ultimately, here's what it comes down to. And obviously, we'll, we'll probably never know what that kind of fame is like, where you have people coming up to you. And knowing my personality, I'm sure that I would be irritated by it if I wanted my space, if I was just tired. But here's the thing. You've got to just smile and fake it because ultimately it is because of those people that you have the money that you have and that you have the life that you have. And as much as you might hate it, ultimately it's because of them that you have it. And so, I mean, does it mean that you have to be at their beckoning call? No, I don't think so. But certainly when you are speculating, right. But, but I do, I do think that, that fans, should get a little respect. There's one more anecdote. If you're too lazy to read the book, and uh, this book really should be read. If you want to know what the feel of it. what it is like to be a rock star, this is the book. Undoubtedly, this is the book. Yes, without question, without question. You know, did you ever see War of the Roses? Yes, the I've seen it. Okay, do you remember? It's probably a long time ago. Danny, a very long stuff. time ago. Yes, he tells the whole story to of the of the War of the Roses to as an illustration to his potential client. And he's, he, he, he offers it as like, make of this what you will. Like we can, you as my potential family law client, we can either, now that you know the story, f- go fight, we can fight. Or you can find another way. And I'll leave it up to you. And I really feel like this is what that book would be for anybody who has a, a potential modicum of rock star talent. I'd say, Read this book. And some of you are going to read it thinking, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. And you're going to think that's the reason I gave it to you. And others will understand that this is a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. Anyway, there's one more anecdote I have to share with people who are listening. Because I thought, Martha, 
This is why you and I have now a PhD, an honorary <laughs> PhD from Harvard and Yale. Oh, wow. And, I'm so impressed with our PhDs. <laughs> in musicology. I thought this, I remember thinking, I'm really learning things here. This is awesome. This detail is something only Martha Guzman and now Nick, her husband, and I know for sure. So he, he talks it, and I thought this was, he has, he devotes a chapter. He even mentions it. Like here is, I devote a chapter yes. to the stone roses. Yes. And I was very way, excited about that. I have to say, cause I love so the stone roses. And I got to say, and I know Martha and I, Martha feels the same. There are so many bands that we won't be able to talk about because they haven't written autobiographies. Ian Brown memoirs. needs to write a memoir. He does. He you really he needs to. He will. he will. He will. Ian, if you're listening to us, please yeah. get to it. Write your book. You, you crazy monkey business, man. Please, read please, it. please write your book. Yeah, I am I mean, dying to read your book. That story of tears streaming down his face was great. Oh, but that's not the story. Heartbreaking. It, so what it was. So he tells this just awesome, only real life could produce a story like this. The manager of the Stone Roses is apparently, or was apparently, as crazy, as reckless, oh and as my selfish gosh. as the manager of New Order, who is now yes, dead, by the way. yes. And I want to finish that thought because I mentioned it earlier that there is a certain personality combination to the band members. Clearly, Martha, you must have figured that out, right? That there's a pattern. <laughs> Absolutely. There's also a, an endearing pattern to these characters in history that are called the, the artist managers, the band managers, and they are just their own breed and and they're just so, as crazy, if not crazier, in some ways, Christian. They are crazier. They are crazier. And but you know what? I think, I think you know what? Why I relate to them? It's why you and I do this show. There's something about the outlier. They are in love with music. They're in love with the artist, and yes. they want to be a part of it, though. Yes. But they are they are unlike you and me. They're willing to just go all balls out and mortgage their house. Yes. To, to just devote their lives to managing be, these bands and being part of these bands. And, and I, and you know what, going back to Colonel Parker, Elvis's manager, yes. it's the same story to Brian Epstein, who, who, whom I cannot right, tell you, right. I cannot tell you how much love genuinely without hyperbole love I have for Brian Epstein, who was the Beatles biggest fan, the, their biggest he loved them, Martha, like they were his children. He loved them. And these band managers, they just, they love, they love. There's something like parental about their love. And sometimes They're, to the detriment of themselves. Sometimes. <laughs> all They're time. all dead. They're all dead. <laughs> Brian oh Epstein God. was dead at 38, 36. I know, I know. Rob Gratton, dead. I They're know. dead. <laughs> you, Martha, Martha, if you and I have any balls, we'll be dead in 10 years from now no. because we mean it. <laughs> because we, we, went mean it, we, it. <laughs> we went out and managed some crazy band. <laughs> because we just loved these musicians. And we were, you know, we're going to, we, you know, towards the end of their lives, they were reading 3,000 pages a week. <laughs> you know, they were doing speed just to keep reading. <laughs> and it's going to be us. It's going to be our legacy. <laughs> our eyeballs will be blackened. <laughs> and we'll be found we'll need, dead we'll need, alone. Con we'll need contacts and glasses <laughs> to read and get through We'll be blind. I'll have learned Braille just to keep reading. 
His fingertips were calloused over it just so he could keep real the drummer's story of New Order. <laughs> we, are, yes. we, are gonna get, we are gonna get through it, damn it. Whether it makes us blind or not, we are gonna Please get through these books. Let that be my destiny. Please. Let me tie up the book in my lap on a subway. I'll be at my corpse. I'll be three days old before anybody notices I'm reading Mariah Carey's book. Oh, my gosh. So I will have to get the... And then you'll still be holding on to the page you left your finger yes. up before you turn it. Yes. That's it. Oh, no. No, I'm depressed. That's it. This is the last episode, everyone. I don't want that to be my destiny. I do. I, I want don't. that to be mine. I she loved to... reading so much. She read till the end. She had so many paper cuts, she bled the death. It's going to be us. Please, Lord, I found my identity. I'm like Mr. Glass. I found out who I am, finally. <laughs> That'll be such a sad end, Christian. No, no way. No. It's a joyful end. <laughs> oh, Not if we're dying because of paper cuts. I don't know. I'll be a rock star. Finally, <laughs> he cut himself to death on the pages of rock. <laughs> Wait, did he overdose? What did he That's do? Right. And now he just ran himself. His to eyeballs death. exploded. <laughs> he bled to death. <laughs> I just love this story. The manager of the Stone Roses. And by the way, the Stone Roses, God, if, if anybody is screaming, oh, the story of that band, what a tragedy. Um, and talk about talk about selfish twats. As much as I love them, boy, anyway, hold on, I'll get back to it. The manager of the Stone Roses, he, he printed like 800 billion t-shirts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Stone Roses, which is awesome. But he also had a big heart. And I guess he had a, whenever he'd see anybody who was physically oh challenged, that's the phrase today, he would pull over. He would stop, he'd pull his car over. I mean, which was in and, and of itself very nice, but it's what It happened. is. It totally is. Yes. And he would pull over and he would immediately just give him like eight or nine Stone Roses t-shirts. Yeah. So I just imagined all of Manchester's <laughs> physically challenged or disabled people on crutches and in wheelchairs wearing stone roses. Well, even, even Peter Hook says that. You know, doesn't Peter Hook say that? That he felt like all of Manchester had stone roses yes. t shirts because he was yes, handing he them did. out. He was handing them out to everyone. He Oh my gosh. But I didn't know he had produced Elephant Stone. Oh, I never shit. knew that. I didn't either. I didn't that either. Was something, That's off. That was something that I was uh Me too. That was Impressed. like, okay, this is something this is something good. Like, okay, yeah. now I found something out about the Stone Roses. Yeah. I never knew that. I never I knew didn't that. know that either. And yeah. you know, I I loved reading about that he made thirty thousand British pounds just off the royalty points off. Yes. I love that little passage and story about uh, about that. Yes, that that superb. really that really made me laugh too. I thought, oh my gosh, all of Manchester had stone roses. T-shirts. I just loved loved that so much. 
<laughs> and then do you remember he All said right. he found the a bunch of those t-shirts yeah, years warehouse. later stored in the warehouse. Yeah. I bet there's they're still there. Some warehouse right now in Manchester. I'd has, actually want to have I would want to have one of those stone. Oh, houses. I would love I right? would love to have one of those. Yeah, oh so would God. I. So would I. Well, obviously I think based on the extent of how much we've talked about Mr. Hook's book, it is it is an endorsement. It is an endorsement. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in this book, but... There's a lot in this book. You know, I know, look, we can go on forever, but did you have the same feeling I did, Martha? Because, so there's a narrative of the book, and then, like you said, there's sort of a chronology, and even the chronology is filled in with more anecdotes. Yes. I think I was on, like, page 450. Uh, He gets to the chronology, and it's still, like, 1987. Yes. Uh, I, <laughs> right? Yeah. Did you have that thought I did? Yes, I, like, I did. Oh, my God. You're still talking about that time period? You're still talking about the Pretty Pink soundtrack? And at one like, point... Oh, I, my God. And at one point, I, I looked, and I said, okay, how many more pages do I have? Because we are still stuck in the 80s. And yeah. aren't we going to get through, like, 2,000-something? I mean, we're we're still a ways away from that. We need yeah. to speed it up, Peter. I don't have... Well, I don't have all day here come on yes and no i mean he seemed to maybe inadvertently realize that later new order albums and the later new order career if that's what it could be called was less an organic creation than just some weird corporate endeavor that's exactly so, what it was that's exactly yeah. what it was uh-huh total corporate endeavor <sighs> well Ooh, i i think uh well i certainly who, think we got our money's worth with this book who would have thought new order i never would have thought of all the bands, of all the people, that was going to be this band to take me so deep. I so will deep. never listen to another New Order song the same again. I never. Will, I, I will, don't want to listen to New Order ever again. I will, well, I, you know, at moments I was having that feeling too, Christian. But I will say, Peter Hook, if you're listening, thank you so much for reminding us of what was the song I was listening to before we started recording? <laughs> Why have know. I forgotten it? Why have I forgotten uh, it? Too many drugs, too much ecstasy. Uh, uh, what was the song, Christian? Uh, I don't, the world something. No, it wasn't the world anything. Oh, God, in God's hands or something or, like that. Yes, the, the, I had forgotten about that song and how much I loved it back in the day. And I've been listening to it repeatedly now. Thank you, Peter Hook, for reminding me of it. Because I remember when that video first came out, laughing, thinking, what is going on? Why are they dressed like that? What is happening? I don't understand this video. And uh, Peter Hook does uh, describe or tell us why they were dressed as a heavy metal band. They were just sort of making fun of that genre of music and, and those videos from that time. And so that's why they decided to dress up as a heavy metal band. But <laughs> I, I do um, do remember really enjoying that song. And so thank you, Peter Hook, for reminding me of just how much I liked it, because now I've been listening to it repeatedly. <laughs> you know what? And so bring it back all the way to where we started. On God, this, this really, is really like a record-breaking episode. It is. Hey, <laughs> well, no, it was 700 rich. pages. 700 it's rich. Pages. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening, we just read casually read 700 pages for you. Just casually. For you. So bring it back to the very beginning. I uh, remember reading in um, uh, something I read about Galaxy 500 that Peter Hook met Galaxy 500 and Galaxy 500 were, were a band. And he came backstage and he showed um, the bassist, Naomi, how to 
because uh, like I told you, they covered, they covered ceremony regularly as part of their set. Yeah. So they, cause they're big new order fans. Again, I'm confused. <laughs> what can I say? All right. Well, you know, they, they do have some good music. They do. Look, of course they do. Of course they do. But I don't know. But anyway, Peter Hook took the time to show Naomi, uh, how to exactly play his bass part. Oh. So when they, yeah. So when they covered it on stage, she knew exactly like, cause you know, you can play the notes, different positions on the, on the fretboard and he, he was kind and nice and, and he, he he did seem I, I, he did seem overall kind of like an okay guy, like, you know. Even when he, I don't know. We've told enough anecdotes. We have. He's, we have to at some point start to stop talking. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, he. I will say this. I mean, he is definitely a what you see is what you get type person, and I do respect that. I always respect people. Who I are, do too. I, I always I, respect people who are exactly who they are, even if they're not necessarily my cup of tea. But I respect, um, you know, that they're themselves and that they call it as they see it. And and I and yeah, I in this case, that. he called it as El Tuato. Yes, <laughs> it was. I it was. A I lot. want that to be my new nickname. I want so many. I just. I want so much. No, nah, you're Chrissy. Chrissy? I, I prefer El Tuato. No, no. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, I bet people, mm-hmm. all right, I guess, I don't know. Is there, you, you have more? No, more? I think I think we've covered a lot of Peter Hook. We've covered Cookie pretty well. We've Hookie and Bernie and Manchester. Wow. And all those pseudo tough guys. With your fecal stain jeans. Oh, I'm gonna have to watch 24 hour, uh, 24 hour party people. <laughs> right, over which is again. a classic. Yeah, by the way, oh, you know what? I gotta say, real quick, there was one. I was just laughing. <laughs> he says that Bernard Sumner. I've never seen New Order live. Have you? No, which and is it, why I wanted well, to see them in October. Honestly, now I want to see Peter Hook in the light. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. No, but we're going to have to, Christian. They're going to be here in L.A. next year. God willing, all this has gone away. Martha, I almost forgot. There's a portion I thought this is where our show comes to life. It turns out Peter Hook absolutely loves Phil Collins' groovy kind of love. Yes! Oh, my God. I'm so glad you brought that up. I forgot about that. Yes, and he makes... A piano player in a hotel yes. lobby Singing play over. it over and over and over again. And I have to tell you, Christian, I have to tell you because I too like that cheesy song. And I thought to yeah. myself, you know what? Peter Hook is A-OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. That I gotta admit, that did it for me too. And it really explains why of all of our episodes, Phil Collins is the most downloaded. It's the most yes, popular. Yes, yes. Phil Collins is the original uh pimp. It really is. You gotta yes. p- keep that pimp hand strong and Phil does it. And you know what? I was I was a little surprised to to learn that he really loves that song. Yeah. Which then, which then further made me feel it further validated the fact that I I do really like his cheesy, corny love songs as much as I do, because I thought if this tough guy from Manchester right. <laughs> thinks that he's that then, you know, that's his favorite song. <laughs> we okay. all love you, Phil. We all love you, Phil. You're a okay too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll let the other uh, anecdote go about Bernard Sumner. Let's just say that Peter Hook takes issue with, with Bernard Sumner's random enthusiasm at awkward times of concert performances. Yes. Uh, during songs that don't require loud, like, woohoo! <laughs> Woo! Yes, <laughs> yeah. he does. Yes. Oh, that was he so funny. He does. He really. So funny. But I now see Bernard Sumner. He's a devil. In an entirely different light, which he's I, El Tuato. Which, which honestly is part of the reason that you'll never hear them again. I'll never hear them the same again. Yeah. I will. I will yeah. never. My 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 opinion of New Order has changed. I mean, I still love the songs that I love, and I still love the records that I that I love, but. I will never listen to them the same again after having read this book. Never right. again. And and listeners, neither should you. Yes. Neither should you. Neither should instead, you. Instead, you should listen to Revenge. <laughs> Peter Hook's Revenge. Oh, my God. Worst thing oh, ever. Oh, my goodness. Well, we've well, covered this one. We've covered we this one. My goodness. We did. did You're we welcome. Ever? You're welcome. As we, Martha and I sit here in our little uh, space capsule floating in the... I can't see horizon or earth anymore. Martha and I are so far into this journey. So far. I don't even know if Martha's real anymore. I could just be talking to an imaginary person. You, I'm so far into, into the fathom. Maybe you are. Maybe I'm just a hologram. I don't you know. You are. I'm just, this is going to be one of those M. Night Shyamalan twists where the whole time you've just been like oh, a Oh, that's a really good, An imaginary yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good I'm analogy. just at the bottom of the ocean in my little capsule talking to Martha that I once knew in grad school. <laughs> Many years and I've ago. Just, yeah, and I've just manufactured a friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We are deep into this now. Woo. I mean, there's no turning back after reading this book. There's no, no, there isn't. There's That's no. what I realized. That's what I realized as I was reading this book, Martha. There is no, if there was a moment, it happened a lot. We are too high on the mountain. All right. Well, whew, on that note, this has been a delight. I've had a delight reading. This I'm going to keep reading. Yes, this has been a, a definitely an experience for yes. sure. I think for, I, I feel like I need to go to rehab now after having read this book. I need rehab a cleanse. sounds so boring. I need oh a cleanse. God. I need a cleanse of some sort after this. Yeah, so you can make, become righteous afterwards. Yes, I can become very righteous. <laughs> and more square than I already am. <laughs> more square. <laughs> Perfect 90 degree angles. That's right. Oh right. my goodness. Well, but anyway. to, our, to our listeners, if, if you're listening, if you next time you're at a restaurant, pick up a bread roll and throw it at somebody's head for us. Okay. When, right. Tell them we sent you. <laughs> yeah, we did. That's what rock stars do. Apparently. Okay? Apparently. They cheat on their wives. Oh. They do a lot of blow. They hate most of their fans. They hire hookers. <laughs> they don't have to hire them. Well, they just get they, them for free. Well, no, they they paid for some. I mean, he didn't, but other people in his entourage did. They create, look, I'm going to say it again, Martha, they create blowjob helmets. And if you want to know what that is, I oh, suggest you pick God. up Peter Hook's book. Because oh, my it, God. Uh, it is, wow. It's something, okay, it's interesting. Anyway, on that note, it, this has been fun. Um, and as always, uh, we thank you for listening and tuning in to the adventures and exploits of the most outrageous 
bookworms you're ever going to encounter. <laughs> For Martha sure. Christian, right? Um, this entire show, all of it, uh, we've really subjected your husband to a lot this time. Yeah. Uh, and I thank you, Nick. And truly, I know Nick for the first time is hearing my voice now as he edits the show. I thank you for all the hard work you've done for us. And his Deep Signal Studios, which is phenomenal. Yes. He is our band manager. He is our biggest <laughs> fan. He is. On that note, we, we leave you on that high. And I will see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. 